This is Archive Atlanta, episode 144, Fanny Springer. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. This week's episode is going to be a little short one because I have a huge deadline at work. I also have lots of exciting tour stuff and research stuff happening, but I also really wanted to share this story of Fanny Springer. If you've been listening for a long time, I think it's evident how much I prefer the stories that have been lost to time. The stories of quote-unquote regular people that were doing extraordinary things, especially in the social constructs of their time. So when I was researching the John Abbott case, I saw a mention of prison reformer Mrs. Springer in relation to getting Stella Abbott out or pardoned. And so I immediately like jotted down her name and then I went back to learn more. And predictably, finding out more about a woman who lived in the early 1900s was difficult. But I was able to put together a little glimpse into her life, speculate as to what made her so passionate about prison reform, and then learn about the people that she helped. Fanny was born in Vienna, Austria in 1860. She was Jewish and immigrated to the U.S. around 1888, living first in New York City. I tried to do a brief Austrian history deep dive because I really wanted to understand if she left because of religious persecution or just wanting a change in scenery. And it's a bit unclear. Generally, Austrian Jews experienced prosperity between 1848 and 1938, although in 1875, they elected an anti-Semitic mayor in Vienna who restricted Jewish citizens and took them out of government positions. So we'll never really know the story of her transatlantic journey, but she does meet a fellow Jew in New York. He is Prussian-born Isidore Springer, and they get married in 1889. They move to Atlanta shortly thereafter. Here, the couple operated a woman's department store at 95 Whitehall Street, basically downtown Atlanta today, and Mr. Springer would take several European trips every year to buy the latest and greatest in women's fashion and then bring it back here to sell. The couple had a home on Pryor Street, and while they never had children of their own, they did have, at least at any given moment, six or seven nieces and nephews that lived with them over the years. In 1900, the Springers had an incident with Atlanta police patrolman Bill Starnes. And there was two very distinct sides to this story, the policeman's story and the Springer story. For the Atlanta police, they had recently been fielding complaints about shopkeepers being too aggressive on the sidewalks, basically hard-selling customers to get into their stores. And so Starn said he saw a white cotton mill worker, we only know him as Myers, um, get hit by Mr. Springer. The story, according to the Springers, is that this guy was drunk and wouldn't leave the doorway after, after being asked repeatedly, and he then pulled a knife on Mr. Springer, and so Fanny runs to find a policeman. She initially did not even want the man arrested because he was drunk and he wasn't fully aware of his actions. And this is a theme that actually returns, you know, later in her life with people she helps. Starn says that the Springers chased him down the street. And then Fanny testifies that she shook a newspaper in the policeman's face, you know, demanding that she arrest this guy. And Starnes grabbed her arm and shook her. And she said that the policeman uttered he was going to, quote, fix those Jews on Decatur Street, end quote. Starnes was initially charged with assault, but after a short court case, he was acquitted. And the judge um, really kind of dismissed the case because he said he had no jurisdiction, that it should have been tried in police court. In May, a number of Decatur Street merchants joined in something that was called an early closing movement, like a protest of sorts. All of the names of the people that participated 
appear to be Jewish. This is all my conjecture, but I do not doubt that this incident was tied with the Springers incident and then tied to, you know, other Jewish merchants supporting this and then protesting what the police were doing. In 1909, there's another quick mention of Fanny in the papers when her horse when her horse was stolen and the press described her as a quote-unquote lady detective because she had previously broken the case of someone that was stealing from her husband's department store. So she's kind of already into, I guess, you know, legal criminal case stuff. So what about her prison reform work? After 1910, she was already volunteering in jails and prisons, most notably at the federal penitentiary, which I talked about in episode 102. There, she worked on making sure that Jewish federal prisoners were able to celebrate religious holidays, and she secured donations that were considered really a special treat, and a special treat for anyone at that time. So um, I think in one Thanksgiving, she got 800 oranges shipped to the prison so that each inmate could have one for the holiday. In 1912, she met Will Hicks while volunteering, and she quickly involved herself in his case. The Hendricks family consisted of parents Will and Evelyn, and their four children, Lily Bell, Leo Mitchell, Edgar, and Jenny Francis. So Will is in jail for killing a man, and because it's considered a federal crime, he was living in Oklahoma, and he is taken to the federal penitentiary in Atlanta. And so his wife and kids follow here to be nearby, and Evelyn had to take on a servant position in order to provide for her family. So in turn, her kids are all sent to the Home for the Friendless, which was a local orphanage. Now, it gets complicated here because the man he killed was actually his father-in-law, so it was his wife's father, who had been, quote-unquote, making advances on his own daughter, Will's wife. And so Fanny was like she had reviewed the case and she did not think that he should be in jail. He saw how his children were suffering. And Fanny was also very keenly aware of her privilege and then how to use it at this time in history. So she poses for a photo with Evelyn and the children. And it's like this big print in the newspaper. And she makes a plea for, you know, somebody help, please, a good lawyer, donate your time, bring this father back to the family. And the call is answered. There's donations coming in, both monetarily and legal services. And the reason for this is that most prominent men at this time were raised by single mothers because of the Civil War. So they could kind of um, commiserate with what the family was going through. By January of 1913, Fanny traveled to Washington, D.C. to speak with President Taft about the Hendricks case. And she came with a petition with thousands of signatures and the help from a Mrs. Emma Neal Douglas and attorney Samuel Bornstein. Now, the sad part is we don't quite know how Will Hendricks' story ended. Fanny talks about seeing the president and that he gave her this, quote, Bill Taft smile, end quote, um, and that he could do all he could. She came home really confident. But in 1918, she was still working on the same case. In 1913, the Springers opened a new store along Whitehall, and it was fronted in solid bronze. I checked to see if it still stands, and sadly, it does not. The following year, she made a name for herself. She was called the, quote, good mother of the federal prison, and she and Isadora celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary. By 1915, she obtained a pardon for Ben Banks, who had robbed a home in College Park, he had served 18 months of his 10-year sentence, and Fanny felt that he was a really good man who made a bad decision while drinking. She presented a petition to Governor Slayton, and he granted his freedom. And she definitely continues to keep the pulse on Washington, D.C., so she sends a walking stick 
to President Woodrow Wilson in 1916 that was made by a federal prisoner here in Atlanta. Somewhere around 1917, the Springers moved to Sparta, Georgia, although she continued to do work and travel to Atlanta often. In 1921, she testified in the Abe Powers case. She also freed a black man named Dave Smith. Smith was a well-respected Sparta citizen who didn't understand his parole rules and like unintentionally violated them. Fanny continued to volunteer in the prisons. Uh, she took donations for a Victrola for the women's department at the state prison. She traveled to Atlanta, appearing in front of Governor Walker in 1924 to petition for the freedom of May Williams. And that was just the first of three trips in just one month alone. Um, she was also working on the case of it's either William Morris or William Abrams, who was serving five years for robbery. But she had personally reviewed the case and she thought that he was innocent and convicted on circumstantial evidence. So the paper at this time calls her a student of criminology. But you can tell that she's been doing this long enough that she feels really comfortable like reviewing the facts and understanding if, if they could get pardoned. In 1927, Fanny encountered a bit of personal legal drama when her chauffeur was charged with hitting a 14-year-old boy and driving away. So the charge actually, it stemmed from an incident that happened two years prior. Authorities say that driver Frank Battle, with Fanny in the back seat, hit Ben Adams in Sparta and continued driving. And so while Fanny is charged, yet she is still able to live freely, you know, out on bail um, until her trial, but her African-American employee was immediately arrested and then placed on the chain gang. Both parties were avid that they did not hit anyone or anything. They would have stopped if they did. And so she uses all her legal skills to fight for herself and for her driver, freeing him and refusing to pay the fine while also filing an appeal. From what I can tell, she won her case. In the late 20s, she also helped Olive Chastain, who was in prison for shooting her lover, Dr. C. Mitchell, who was charged with poisoning his nephew, she was interviewed at some point, and she shared that she had been doing prison reform work for 17 years, and she had helped 44 inmates, the 44th being a black doctor serving a life sentence at the State Farm in Milledgeville. She also distributes clothing, sweets, fruit, and tobacco. She interviews anxious relatives, writes letters, helps paroled men find jobs. She held the title of chairman of the 10th District Prison Welfare Committee of the Georgia Federation of Women's Clubs, and she had interviewed two presidents in her lifetime, Taft and Roosevelt. She also traveled to prisons in other cities, and so seeing the atrocities at places like Sing Sing, she actually had fairly good things to say about what the inside of Georgia's prison facilities looked like. Sadly, in 1929, just before she turned 70, Fanny Springer passed away. Her body was brought to the chapel of Greenberg & Co. She was interred at Greenwood Cemetery, which is in southwest Atlanta. Just a year later, her husband Isidore had an operation at Georgia Baptist Hospital, and he died about nine months after that. So he, too, was buried in Greenwood next to his wife. So there you have it, the short story of Fanny Springer. Like most stories, the only physical thing we have left to remember Fanny by is her headstone. But at least today, you, the listener, know her story about her activism, her life, and you can keep that memory alive. Prison reform is still an important issue in 2021. We're nowhere near where we should be. So I hope in another hundred years, we can kind of be looking back at the work of the fannies of today and talk about their successes. I find it really fascinating that she didn't seem to care what people did. She just knew it was important to get them out of prison. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review. Visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. 
Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.